The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, hi, hi. This is Gwendolyn. I'm really happy to be here with you today on The Visual Workplace. It's our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And I'm particularly excited today because we're finally going to get into the meat of the operation system improvement template. But first, in case this is your first or an early time that you've joined us, I'm the host of this weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And in each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape, the dynamic landscape of work. And we do that through visual devices and through visual mini systems and visual macro systems. This is how we install the language of our current level of operational excellence, operational effectiveness. Even if we're not quite as effective as we would wish to be and as we will be as we move along this journey. When we make that level, whatever it is, concrete and specific, and we can do that through visuality, we literally see, physically see, what we think and how we think. And we can predict, because we see it function, what will happen as a result. We've captured it. That's the beauty part of visuality. It's a physical system. Therefore, you see it. It is not an idea. It is an idea made manifest. It is a set of answers made real and concrete and tangible. And those answers are the answers to vital workplace questions. What do I need to know? What do I need to share? And what what do we get as a result? Oh, my goodness. We get magnificent bottom line benefits, improved safety, better quality, aligned delivery time, shrinking costs, and splendid cultural alignment, a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels. And when I speak to about visuality, I'm not just speaking about the operator level, although it is potent on the value-add level. I'm speaking about supervisors and CEOs, managers and engineering VPs. I'm speaking about marketing and sales. I'm speaking about purchasing and operations and maintenance and machinery and the entire supply chain. Because this is a language, there is no place, no workplace that it cannot function because in a sense, the pre-language state is already there. The state of information deficits, missing information. And that's where the struggle comes from. 
from the missing information. And that's what the visual workplace is for. It Yes, it captures the normal abnormal, but that is such a confined, a tiny sliver of what visuality can do. Uh, the lean, lean consultants talk about that a lot, about how it shows us abnormal and normal, but so much more. That's maybe 7 8% of what visuality can do. Why not explore the entire paradigm, the ex- entire process, the impri- entire framework of functionality? That's what I say. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. And by the way, in a visual workplace, we enjoy ourselves at work. Why? Because we can flow. And, you know, as I try to explain the, um, the reverse of struggle, I think that's probably the best word that I've, I've been able to find. We flow at work. We flow. It's unobstructed. It's enjoyable. We move with it. We get our work done. So, welcome to the visual workplace. Glad you came. I have a few announcements. I want to bring to your attention what you may already know. We have a new, 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 new newsletter. It began three three weeks ago. We're in our third issue. And I would really love for you to see it. If you aren't already receiving a copy, please drop us a note at radio at visualworkplace.com. Radio at visualworkplace.com. I write an article every week. This week I wrote on eye-driven visuality with a second title of Harnessing the Hero Within. I think it's a really good article. And we also, and we have images as well. We're going to start showing photographs in about, I would say, in about three weeks as a regular part of the newsletter. We're kind of gearing up to that. We're also launching a new website in about two and a half weeks. Lots of things are happening. So check it out. Check, check us out. You'll also see an announcement about my December seminar, public seminar in Scotland at the Grant's uh, Whiskey site. Uh, they make Glen Fittich, among many other things, right outside of Edinburgh. I'm very excited about this for lots of reasons, uh, but one of which is it's going to be uh, the Christmas season in uh, Scotland and Boy, I tell you, those folks in England and in Scotland, they do it right at Christmas. It's very festive, very, very beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'll also be doing a public seminar and site assessment at Siemens in Cambridge, which is closer to London. And that will be the first week in December. You can get um, the details either in the newsletter, which we would, we're happy to send to you, or it's on our website. And um, I wanted to say one other thing. Oh, yes, we're doing Visual Machine. I'm doing this for the first time, my seminar on Visual Machine, first time publicly at the uh, Grant's Whiskey site because they have this huge machinery. It's so beautiful. You Google Glenn Fittich or Grant's Whiskey, and you'll see what their plants look like. They're gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, well, just gorgeous, you'll see. <laughs> Okay, and one one other announcement: we have a uh, our live webinar series begins on November the sixth, an hour after this show. There's a special price, I think, like a forty percent discount, forty five dollars uh, for the webinar. Please register, and I will be do talking about Visual Basics, and I will include in that a mini case study so you can get a sense of what it looks like when it's it's pulled together. And then we'll go through the 10 doorways and we'll just go through. We have about 90 modules of, 
of training or of instruction, and we'll we'll just begin to go through those. Again, if you're not on our mailing list, please tell us at radio at visualworkplace.com, or you can call us directly in our offices, 503-233-1784, 503-233-1784. Thank you. Okay, so let us begin. We are walking to and walking through the Operation Systems Improvement template. This is what you may call the house. Today we will almost complete building that house. We'll look at strategy and the metric, the macro metric that drives that strategy, and we will look at strategic principles that keeps us that keeps us on task but also keeps us humane. And if we have time, but I don't think we will, we'll pick up the tactical focuses and methods. If not, we'll pick them up last uh, next week. But keep in mind that this house, this is the house of Toyota, the temple of Toyota, the house of Virginia Mason, the house of Danaher, or whatever your production system is. Most of the large corporations have adapted and adopted some form of the Toyota house, and they call it their production system or their house or their temple. I call it the operations system improvement template because that's its purpose. Its purpose is to improve our operational system, not just to show it. And that's a big difference that I've been uh, emphasizing with you, that you want this document, this format, to be alive. Not just a pretty poster on the boardroom wall, but an actual guiding format, a touchstone, one that we organize ourselves around so that we not only figure out what we want, who we are, but we also make decisions about how we are going to proceed. And today we're going to be focusing on that because we're going to be talking about selecting an improvement strategy. And I have a particular one in mind, believe me. But this house, this format, needs to be sufficiently robust that we can actually make decisions on it. It is not a static document, not a poster on the wall, although we often see it. I often see it in, in, on the walls of companies that sorely need a production system, sorely need to make decisions in a completely new way, a different template of thinking. No one is to blame, but really, why bother? if all it does for us is cover up a wall that would otherwise be bare. And that's what I've been trying to speak persuasively to with you over the past shows on the house. I have attempted, and I hope successfully, to persuade persuade you that this house is actually a tool of leadership and not just a statement, but a tool. A high look at the horizon And that horizon is constantly changing because that's the way it is with horizons. We either are moving towards them or we're taking some detour, some unplanned detour. So horizon is by definition a dynamic location. It's hardly a location at all as much as a, shall we call it a target? We move towards it with purpose, with direction and with strength. I know, I know, you are bored to your teeth, bored to the teeth with vision and mission and values, but that's the way the house begins. And I also know that you know, I hope, that it is enormously helpful for you to articulate them, 
vision, mission, values, because that's the way the house begins. We'll walk through that in a moment just as a summary or in case you're new, you're new to the discussion. But the important part of this and the part that is missed over and over and over again is that this must reflect you, leader. You first. Later, you can bring your team in it. You don't even have to show them what you've constructed. You can say, let's construct a house. And you can, in your mind, pretend that you don't know what's going on, you know, that you're, that you're learning with them. As long as you do know what's going on, as long as you have done your homework, as long as you have constructed that house and you know what needs to work about it, what's easy about it, what's hard about it, what made you break your brain, it needs to have you all over it. You have to understand where the direction is, where the horizon is before you can lead this discussion. This is what I call your homework. If you skip that, then you're just in a room with people talking, bringing, trotting out their very ordinary, very vanilla ideas about these posters. Why bother? If you don't do your homework as a leader, how can you lead? You're leading them to what? What you're actually doing is you're hoping. Hope is not a strategy. You're hoping they'll come up with something. You're hoping, you're hoping they'll save your sorry behind because you don't know how to do this and you don't want to anyway. Oh, I know, I know. I'm being a little harsh. But some of you know in your heart that this is true. You're hoping that a committee meeting is going to give you some juice. But the juice has to come from you. As long as you don't understand, you can't lead. Okay, so we're going to slide into a break right now. We'll pick this up when you get back, and I'll be here waiting. Thanks. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome back to The Visual Workplace. We're in our second segment of our show today, which I've called, If Hope is Not a Strategy, What Is? How to Turn Your House from a Pretty Poster on the Boardroom Wall into a Real-Time Improvement Driver. How to Turn Your House into an Instrument, a Tool of Leadership. And we have walked through vision, mission, values, and now you not only understand them, right, but you want them. And I hope you want them also because maybe between this show and the last show, you took the necessary time, the hours, to think through what do they mean and what do you want them to mean. I know it's a bit of a crude metaphor, but if you really want to embrace your role as a leader, if you really want to actually lead in the direction of improvement and growth, you have to do these things. You have to make them your own. You have to make them your own the way dogs make things their own. You have to leave your mark on them. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Don't go with vanilla. You're not a vanilla person. You're a Cherry Garcia person. That's the flavor. You're interesting and complex and you're effective. Put in the hours. Beat the son of a gun to the ground and make it speak to you. These are formulations that are, in a sense, universal. They really, really work. The house is there because it represents structure and relationship because it is in the format of a house and therefore it is sturdy and it is usable. And by being usable, that means you can use it as a leadership tool. Take the time and do this. You know, I have a book coming out next year, late next year, The Eye of the Leader. That's a pronoun, not a physical eye, an anatomical eye. The Eye of the Leader. And it'll have plenty of workbook pages to give you a place to put your brain. But until then, just grab a blank piece of paper and start to work this out. Beat the piece of paper to, to a pulp. You know, some executives I work with think of this particular part of the election, the executive leadership suite as art therapy because they say, you know, this calls on other parts of me. I enjoy it. It doesn't feel like work, but it is. Once they sit down and start doing it and they use, if you will, the other parts of their brain, they start developing this. And they develop the house as a tool. And then you're in a position to communicate it with conviction and depth and with authenticity because you left your mark on it. It is yours, even if it comes from corporate. We spoke about this before. You deconstruct it and reconstruct it. It has to be yours. You know, several of you uh, emailed me to say you're uncomfortable about the notion of doing this solo, working solo on so important a document, developing the house Uh, I remember Harry from Denver wrote, and he said the cornerstone that this, that 
that this will be the cornerstone, I'm just remembering it now, to turn his managers around to a new way of thinking. And he went on to say that he wanted them to do so, but that he thought of it as a consensus process. He said, I don't want to sell my idea. I agree 100%, percent. I want you to bring your reports, your direct reports, the people who report to you directly into this process, as long as you've done your homework first. You have to know what's in your heart and mind. You have to formulate this into a fine document first. We'll talk some more about this next week and when we conclude the house, but I want to assure you, you have to work on this solo, by yourself, door shut, uninterrupted. It doesn't mean that you push the result onto people who are waiting outside the door. No, that would be folly. It wouldn't work. Instead, give them the same assignments. Don't show them yours. With their door shut against all incursions, they do their own thinking. Then you can bring people together. Then they've got stuff. They've got something in their lunch pail. Don't think for a moment that you can shortcut this by bringing people together. That's my point. But don't think for a moment that you can shortcut your process by bringing people together at the outset and doing this work by, commit- by committee. From start to stop, if you do, the result will be vanilla, 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 another wall poster. We are powerful beings filled with juice. Some, myself included, call it spirit, but you can call it juice or personal power. It is the juice of your life, a life that we share, but one that is largely experienced individually. And there's a reason for that. So teams and alignment are important, but you want to unify from strength, not the mush that happens when we don't do our homework and we just use a committee to kind of prime the pump. So, okay, I've said that. We have a brain that thinks, so do your direct reports. Let them think. Let them struggle too. Let them imagine too. Then you'll have partners. You'll have strength. Okay, so today, if hope is not a strategy, what is a strategy? By the way, that's a quote from a great little book by Rick Page, It's a small book, but a potent book. You can get it on Amazon. It's about sales, and it's excellent from that point of view. And there's plenty in it that relates to leadership and the challenges of leadership. I recommend it to you highly. It's been in print for a number of years. So the house so far, the house so far, and you can stack it with me, this operation systems improvement template, at the very top, the customer, the market. It looks like a happy, sparkly cloud floating uh, above the roof or a spaceship hovering above the roof of the house. And then the pointy roof is your vision, what you want deep in your heart. It's often inspiring, a world without poverty. That's the vision of a particular not-for-profit, a world without poverty. So right under the roof is the top floor, your mission statement your near-term purpose, tangible, doable, a prescription, providing jobs for the homeless and the unemployed. That's the mission. So the vision is a world without poverty. The mission is providing jobs, very specific, for the home, for the homeless and unemployed. 
The next floor, the, th- the, the second floor under the roof is vision, your values and belief. Your values and beliefs. These are th- what you care about, why you care, and how you show you care. This is how you want to play the game and who you want to be when the game is over. So you work on these three. You've done this, I'm sure. I've asked some of you to do your homework as we move along. You've put your personal stamp on this, your personality, your heart, and your energy shines through. And now what? Now you need to make sure it happens. And that's what the rest of the house is for. For the most part, this is where the rest of the houses kind of fall down. They're an incomplete as far as I'm concerned. I've never been able to operationalize the house of Toyota. I've always had to do a lot more stuff on my own to communicate it. Because it really is, it's almost like code or shorthand. But there are big, big, big pieces missing. There's no pacing there. There's no target. There's no destination. Lots and lots of missing pieces. I have a list of five. See if I can put my hands on them very... Yeah, here they are. What's missing from the house? Focus, destination, valence, pace, and drive. It's not there in any of these houses. There's no strategy. There's no valence. You don't know what's good, what's bad. It's just a kind of bunch of words in relationship to each other. So the rest of the house, the rest of the house is... Here are the floors that remain under... Values and beliefs. Strategy is next. What's the lever you will use to move the burdens of the past and grow? To remove the burdens of the past and grow. That's the next. After that, macrometric. How will you measure that progress? After that, and I hope we can cover this today as well, strategic principles. What does that sound like? What does the measurement sound like in bite-sized, doable terms? What are, if you will, the exhortations? What are the principles to guide us? From there, we extend to a set of tactical focuses. Where exactly will you apply the strategy? This is completely missing from the House of Toyota. And the problem is there's no concept in the House of Toyota of this. How do you decide where to apply? Why would the Japanese share that with us when this is such an important tool? If they did that, then they would give a valence to the house. I'm sorry. I love the Japanese, but I I see it as being very, if you will, strategic to disinclude this. You can't do it all at once. Time, at least for the time being, is linear. So where are you going to apply the strategy? And then right after that, the final piece is what tools are you going to use to make sure that those tactical focuses improve? You know, I've worked on this house for many years. I started in 1984, 83, 84. And the thing about my brain is I have this kind of allergy to Borg. (laughs) It's a real, you know, personally speaking, it gets me into a lot of trouble. But I'm always kind of sensitized to accepting something without questioning it. Uh, I don't know where I got this from, but it's definitely a part of my brain. So I like to turn things upside down. I like to ask questions like, well, okay, that's what you say, but what's missing? 
what part of this is marketing? What part of this can I actually operationalize? And I don't mind marketing. I love entertainment. My favorite kind of movie is slick and smooth, happy little romantic comedies or high-level, high-fi, sci-fi Marvel comic book stuff. I love that, slick and smooth. But somehow or other, when I get into my work, it's always, yeah, so what? So what? What does this mean? What am I looking at? What's being hidden? (laughs) So I'm bringing that awareness to you. Oh, what a plague. (laughs) We're moving into our next break, and we will uh, walk through the strategy when we come back, when we enter our third segment. I'll see you in a minute. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Welcome to the unique job search community of Lynn Radice Live. You do have the power to land the perfect job. If you are unemployed or underemployed or looking for your next career move, tune in to Lynn Radice Live. Get a job, no excuses. This is a first-of-its-kind job empowerment show. Lynn will identify the most critical needs in today's job market and show you how you can get a top position today. Get ready. Let's get hired. Lynn Radice Live airs live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. We're in our third segment of our show today at the Visual Workplace. And just before the break, we had completed the outline of the structure of the house with the methods and tools that support your tactical focus. And there's a lot of decision-making that happens there. And that decision-making usually happens in one-year chunks. And I want to tell you that as soon as we finish the house, we're going to the X-Type Matrix, which is this marvelous tool that is your annual plan, your growth plan, your improvement plan on a single page. And, you know, in the newsletter that I mentioned that we're... we're, 
sending out, we just started uh, three weeks ago, we're in our third weeks, we'll, we'll have a, a, a picture of the X-type matrix. So you'll be able to get some of these images that you've been imagining for the last three years. Finally, they'll be in front of you. I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled. I know I'm, I'm not supposed to get personal, but I want to thank Cindy, uh, Cindy Linden for doing this so much. She's our administrator, and for some reason, she has taken a shine to, to this and is doing a bang-up job on the newsletter, The Visual Thinker. Thank you. All right, so the house is complete now. The operation system improvement template, the template for improving your operational system. And I want to say that most of the companies that I run across kind of casually here and there don't have an operational system for they can't improve it. They simply fight fires as a way of business. Perhaps I should write a book and call it Fighting Fires is Not a Strategy instead of Hope is Not a Strategy. Let me talk to my, with my editor. So very early on, about four or five shows ago, I had said to you, look, the job of the leader is two things. One is to formulate an effective operational strategy and then to drive it. But then I modified it because I know that most leaders don't know how to formulate and therefore they cannot drive, but they also don't know how to drive. So we add these two elements. The job of the leader is to learn how to formulate and drive an effective operational strategy and then to formulate one and then to drive it and then we're adding how to sustain it, how to stay on course. That's what this is about. Strategy. So, (laughs) in this week's Visual Thinker, I wrote an article... I actually wrote an article about uh, harnessing the power within, but you will see under the the uh, radio show notice a particular picture. And I want to use that picture. It's a picture of a world map. And it's a world map that I discovered one evening when I went to have dinner at Outback. That's an Australian kind of steak place. And I was just kind of waiting for my dinner, looking around with some friends, whatever. And I saw this funny-looking thing on the wall. It wasn't exactly art. There was something familiar about it, but my brain couldn't grasp, what is this? And what it was was just a kind of blue background with kind of white shapes on it. But there was something very familiar about those white shapes, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm staring at it and staring at it, really puzzled. And then suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, this is a map of the world. But it's upside down. At the top center of the map was this little squiggly, wiggly blob, which I suddenly realized was Australia. In the center top of the map, instead of in the bottom of the map that I was used to seeing and my brain began to wobble in its skull and I realized that what I was seeing was not just a fresh perspective on mapping but a complete shift in paradigm 
a complete shift in paradigm. And I didn't realize until that moment how many of my assumptions were wrapped up in the map that I'm used to with Australia at the bottom barely noticeable, the Atlantic Ocean kind of in the middle, and uh, the United States on the left, and Europe on the right, and Asia kind of on both ends. How many of my assumptions, and there are books, by the way, written on this, I've since, since discovered them, talking about how that emblematic, that iconic image formulates our national and international policy. That image. And when the Aussies at the outback turned it upside down, all of my assumptions began to disintegrate. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? There is no upside down in a world map because we're a planet and we float in a universe where there is no up and down. It is by all reports infinite in all directions. So where is up in infinity? And where is down? Who is to say the North Pole is on the top and the South Pole is on the bottom? And what do we mean by North and South? It just really shook me up. The choice is arbitrary, but it is also deeply embedded. The choice with the United States on the left kind of center, Europe on the right kind of center, and Asia on the edges, this is as common as our breath. This is a paradigm of thinking deeply embedded. So when the Aussies in their fed-upness turned the map upside down, making it their map. They changed the paradigm and they shifted my assumptions radically. One might say they reversed them, but clearly shifted. Many, many of my assumptions about the placement of the good old USA in relationship to the rest of the world shifted with it. I had hardly, I would say I had never named these things before. They were so deeply embedded, so fundamental. So you can see that image in the visual thinker in the newsletter this week. And if it's the first time, your brain will probably go wonk, 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 (laughs) because it'll be a shockeroo. And I say these things as an introduction to strategy because I want you to understand the paradigm change that we underwent over the last 30 years. It happened about 1979, 1980, certainly by 85, it was beginning to enter our our consciousness. So let me give you some background. Definition of strategy. Strategy is how are we going to achieve our mission? How are we going to realize our vision and thereby serve our market. What is our strategy? A strategy or stratagem is a high, is highly important and integral part of a long-term plan of systematic action designed to achieve a particular big picture goal. Given that your vision is a picture of your destination, the strategy is the roadmap that shows you how to get there. It's a blueprint supported by detailed plans. Most companies deploy several core strategies, marketing and sales, acquisitions, growth strategy, 
and an operations strategy. So we're going to narrow this and talk about the operations strategy because this is my sandbox. This is where I live. And I think this is where most of you who are listening live. Operations. And isn't it glorious? So strategy is also, uh, by the way, uh, in its original term, stratagem, means the art of being a general. It comes from the Greek And it's a combination of the ends, the goals, and the policies, the roadmap for getting there. The most important part of implementing the strategy is because it ensures the company is going in the right direction. And I want to call your attention to just one of my favorite strategy books or any kind of a book in the whole world. Memoirs of the Second World War by Winston Churchill. I have read the abbreviated edition. It's almost a thousand pages. I've mentioned it before on my show. It is fabulous. Not only does it reveal the secrets that are not known, at least not by me, not popularly known about what happened in the Second World War and just what position Britain was in when nobody but that small island, the Commonwealth, if, if you will, was fighting the Nazis. But it also lets you enter the mind of Churchill. We know that it's doctored because it's from his particular point of view, like a, a little doggy. He left his mark on it, of course. It's his remembering, his memoirs of the Second World War. But it's fabulous reading. It's, I can't put it down. It's better than Crichton and better than, you know, any popular writer you can imagine, for me, probably for you. But in terms of, so, so, so that's, you know, the art of a general in a real war and all of the balls that he had to keep in the air, my God, was more than life-threatening. And the story is exhilarating, just thrilling, thrilling, thrilling. But let's talk about operational strategy before the one I'm going to talk to you about. What was the before? What was the paradigm before it shifted? Well, it was up until the late 1970s, the manufacturing strategy of U.S. companies and therefore of the industrial uh, world, industrialized world, since we led the charge was simply this, make more, sell more. Make more, sell more. Keep running, make more, make more. That was the paradigm. Quality was not a part of the paradigm, nor was flow. We take it for granted, but it wasn't even, wasn't even, no one could spell it. The word didn't exist. Flow or connectivity, these were not factors in the equation that defined success. If you made it, you sold it. If you made it, someone would buy it. And then in 1979-1980, Japan came to our doorsteps. We found out about it, and the paradigm shifted. Everything went back to zero. All of our assumptions went back to zero. The map of the world stood on its head, and we looked at it, and we said, what is that? I'm looking at this map right now, this second, and even now, it's sitting right next to the correct view, (laughs) even right now. It's just weird. So many of my assumptions are in that map. And who even knew 
Well, that's the way it was when Japan came with its strategy. And we adopted that strategy even though they did not tell us about it. And I'll tell you that story about how we found it when we come back after this, our last break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. So, hi, hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. I'm I'm holding my breath to go on. This is where I live. I just love this particular segment or sector of knowledge in, uh, in my field, the strategic piece. And I was there. I started my work. 1983, and I saw these things unfold. And I came from a Latin teacher background, and I was an actor in New York, and I was the to- token Caucasian in a Japan in a Chinese restaurant, and a checkout girl in Kroger's when I couldn't find any work in the mid in the Midwest when I was trying to raise a family. You know, I saw these things and then suddenly I found, uh, fell into this pool of honey, milk and honey called manufacturing and I was home. It was just glorious and I was here when this paradigm shifted and the paradigm shifted from a strategy of make more, sell more to the continuous, relentless and systematic reduction of waste, the continuous pursuit the finding and the rooting out of waste. 
And this is the only viable operational strategy in business today, period. There is no other. However it may be cloaked, if it doesn't say this at the bottom of your strategy, you ain't improving. You can't improve. And this was the gift of the Japanese to us. But you know what? They didn't tell us. They did not tell us. And I'll have to reserve that story until next week. But next week, I will tell you how this was discovered. It was not given. It was found. And it was not the United States that found it. It was the Australians. The Australians. I told this story maybe about two and a half years ago. It's time to trot it out again. Because in it, we understand more completely about the power of this strategy and also of its metric, which I want to get to before the end of the show. So the operational logic of this new strategy is fundamentally and radically different from its forerunner, make more, sell more. That is why we call it a paradigm shift. Complete turn it on its head. Turn the world on its head and what do you see? I have no idea. What is that? What do I see? What is that? I can't make it out. All of my signposts have changed. I'm silent. I'm dumb. From the point of view of I have nothing to say. But you know what? We cannot discuss that strategy without immediately defining how to measure it. We have to talk about the core metric that drives that strategy. Otherwise, there's no leverage. There's no dynamic to the strategy if you don't know how to measure it. And in my experience, I'm into my, what, 32nd or 33rd year in this field, there's only one metric. It's called a macro metric because it is on a macro level um, tracking, measuring, aligning with your strategy, which is also on a macro macro, uh, level, this operational strategy. How do we measure progress? How will we know if our strategy is working? You must ask yourself. And there's only one measure that will gauge progress in a waste reduction strategy. There's only one. Set aside the patina that has the layers and layers of gunk that has burdened this elegant, simple, highly functional metric. The only measure you can use is time and its corollary speed. It's the only only measure. I like to see it on a macro level, but I like to see it even more on a micro level. We can talk about that later when we get to tactical improvement. There is only one measure on which to gauge progress of your waste reduction strategy, and that is time. Lead time. And next week, I'll walk you through the incredible contribution that Australia has made to the world thought on this and how they sussed this out because this was never given by the Japanese. This would be giving away the blueprint to the Death Star if you are following me in terms of um, Star Wars. This is the blueprint. 
what is the metric. The Japanese never told us about the strategy, nor did they tell us about the metric. It was the Australians who insisted upon finding it, insisted with all their hairy, sweaty determination, these tremendously dynamic, energetic people. So I want to ask you, what is your operational strategy? What is your macro metric? Because it needs to be part of your house. You're not going to operationalize it in your house, but you're going to embed it in your house so that you know it is the driver. And so that you go to that house to check your decisions, your operational annual monthly, weekly, daily decisions. To what extent does this strategy guide you? What is your strategy? What is your macrometric? To what extent do you use it? Are you happy with it? Are you happy with your use of it? Or do you want to do a little bit of reframing? The macro metric is not KPIs. It's an entire mistake to use KPIs on this level. You're going to have to use KPIs at some point. It'll be temporary, hopefully, or at least it will be joined. Your KPIs will be joined by more powerful ways to measure, which will be part of when we get to the war room, just before we get to the war room on the executive leadership function. We'll talk about that. You know, if I, fa- if I sound deadly serious about this, I am. There is so much Borg thinking, B-O-R-G, Borg thinking out there. So much marketing. And we have to ask ourselves, what the heck is this? So what? What does it mean? Does it work? Am I just doing it because it's easy to access in the popular literature? Or is it really functional for me? Does this get me further? along a path that I want to go, that I've decided to go, that I am guiding this company towards. Is it working for me? And, you know, I can't say the words that are really in my brain right now, but if the son of a gun isn't working for you, you throw it on the ground and you jump on it and you make it speak, you make it cough up its secrets. This is when, you know, life gets interesting and we're in the wild, wild west we're making it happen we're in the new frontier we're pioneers you know a pioneer really cuts the pathway I remember I was stuck on a mountaintop with a group of yuppies I was stuck on a mountaintop Uh, we went up there to get a view to figure out where we went wrong in our compass uh, settings and to get up there There was no path. It was in the middle of Maine Forest. And believe me, no one had ever climbed that mountain before, but it was the nearest one. We were completely lost. No one preceded us. And we had to go through the most gosh-awful bramble of short trees that had no branches on it because they were at the top of this mountain. There were no pioneers that went before us. We were the pioneers. We had to cut our way through. (laughs) That's what it means with pioneering. And I would love for you to embrace your job with a kind of excitement and determination and um, verve where you make sure that what you need to have happen happens. You require it. 
And these tools will give you strength. This will make you a powerful leader who knows the way. So I hope I've been convincing. Please join me next week. Please get our newsletter, The Visual Thinker, radio at visualworkplace.com. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.